When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Thursday, September 22nd. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. I've got the brightest forehead in the business thanks to I think it's noon, midday sun, and uh, a newly painted building across from mine. Just it's painted white, and it's just reflecting everything on me. So, all I heard is you painted your forehead white. Yeah, pretty much. If you if you're watching and you're like, what, what's wrong with this face? I'm like, well, it's I can't see. I'm blind. Kind of like can't see my own notes, but um, and yeah, I'm blinding Eno on the other end. So we're we're doing great. But on this episode, we're gonna take a closer look at a few more implications of the upcoming rule changes. We're gonna talk about some late arriving, potentially useful endgame players into the pool because there's been a few more call-ups that have probably gone a little under the radar uh, in the last uh, couple of weeks. We've got a prospect of the week segment on the rundown. We'll see if we actually get that far. And we've got at least one candidate in our weird seasons category by request, uh, Chris Taylor. So we'll get to him a little bit later on in the show. But uh, I was thinking a lot about stolen bases because you, you wrote about the rule changes, some of the stuff we've been talking about in the podcast recently. And uh, the good luck Noah Syndergaard vibes, I, I think, is it, it's kind of uh, an overlooked aspect of this. It's like which pitchers who get run on a lot now are going to be dealing with even more guys taking advantage of of the circumstances. And you and I were going back and forth before we started recording. One simple thing that I had not thought about, we were talking about the time for runners to get from first to second while stealing a base, right? Bases are bigger, they're a little closer together, therefore that number is smaller, but... I had not thought about where the fielder is at second base on a, on a caught stealing attempt. He's now closer to home plate. So that pop time, the time for the catcher to get the ball down to second base is also going to be a little bit shorter. And that might reduce some of the, the, the increase in stolen bases that people are expecting. Yeah. I did some math where basically I said, if a guy is uh, 4.5 uh, seconds to first base, that's a, a good proxy actually for getting to second base because it requires some start, to, like some getting going, right? You, like sprint speed is not actually a great measure for this because that's like a, t- like a top speed. So we've said in the past that Jeff Zimmerman has found that times to first are more predictive than sprint speed in terms of stealing bases. So if you're 4.5 to first and it used to be 90 feet, uh, and then you it is now uh, 88.5 or 89.5 feet. Uh, you're now 4.7, uh, 4.47. So <laughs> it really doesn't move you that much on the on the curve, um, you know. And I was saying that that might take somebody, you know, on the curves I was drawing, drawing that might take somebody that's taking off in five percent of their opportunities. Uh, when they when they can to taking off like seven percent of the time uh, when they get to first base, so I don't think that we're going to see any seventy steal guys. 
uh, along with the fact that the you know it's a shorter throw to to uh, to second. I don't think we're going to see any seventy steel guys, uh, but I do think there's a population where it's super interesting, which is um, the guys who are four five. So the guys who are like sub four five, like four three, four two. Uh, you know, I've got the spreadsheet here. I can tell you who those guys are. You know, four three, four two. That's Ozzy Albies, uh, Jorge Mateo, uh, C.J. Abrams, O'Neill Cruz, uh, Bryson Stott is a four two. Jose Siri. I mean, these are the fastest guys in the game. Cody Bellinger is still a four two. So uh, Harrison Bader's a four two five. Those are the fastest guys in the game, and um, I think they will take off more. I don't think it'll turn Trey Turner from a twenty five steel guy to a fifty, or you know, I've seen mentions of seventy. I just I don't think that's going to happen. I think it'll, it'll, you know, those those twenty fives will turn into thirties, uh, that sort of deal. I actually think it would be kind of, uh, you know, those guys take off a lot. If you look at it, Harrison Bader takes off twenty two percent of the time that he has the opportunity to take off. The league average is five, so he's taking off four times more than than the average guy at first. So, like, what are we saying? He's going to take off. Half of the times he's on base, we're gonna just double that. I just I, because of four or five inches, I I don't know. So I I think the most interesting are the guys who are four 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 five to to first base because to first base because those guys right now are decently fast and they steal some bases. I'm thinking of guys like uh, Tony Kemp is four five to four point four five four point five to first base. Um, Tyrone Taylor is 4.5 to first base. Uh, Haseon Kim, Jerks, and Profar. These are guys who steal five or 10 bases. What if the math changes? What if those guys steal 17, 18? You know? What if the, the, no, the go no go line is, is so different for them that they're like, they actually double their. Like, I, there's, I, I'm no, do you think that, what's the over under for Trey Turner stolen bases next year? I'm making a line right now. It's I, not 50, right? No, I, I, look, what do I think the sports books will put out there? Probably something yeah. in the neighborhood of 36 and a half. That's decent, but it's not double. But there's going to be some guys in this four or five territory where they're going to double their stolen bases. You know, there's going to be some guys who had seven or going to have 15. You know, and I had uh, in the in the in the piece, I had an example of like Luis Urias and Joey Gallo. Guys who had like two or five stolen bases next year. They might have 10 next year. Uh, I just don't think that the top top end guys are going to double double their production. So uh, that's that's my guess. The thinking here. So just to kind of clarify the hypothesis is that the. The burners, the guys that already are among the league leaders in stolen bases, get they they take off more like at a greater percentage of the opportunities they have to run. They they already take advantage of so many of those chances that that number is not going to go up that much because they already run a lot. And and the math for them, the math for them is not going to be changed by four inches. Like they're so fast that you know they steal the bases off the pitcher. That's that's something that's true. You steal the base more off the pitcher than the catcher, so they just take off as much as they can. Uh, yeah, Bobby Wood Jr. takes off twenty one percent of the time he's on that he has the opportunity to. And those slightly slower guys who are still fast enough to steal bases, they will run more because they don't 
they don't maximize their opportunities currently. They're a little more selective. And they're also, the math is so close for them. Yeah. That's why they don't go. The go, no go line is so important for them. Turner is like, you know, I know when I can go. And I go most of the time that I know I can go. And I'm, and I'm successful, you know. Uh, you know, somebody who steals five or ten bases is more like, it has to be, it has to be like Noah Syndergaard. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, I'm going to steal on Noah Syndergaard. I don't know about anybody else. So maybe then they can steal on some other guys uh, as well. So I just think that th- there's a math for no go, no go, no go. And th- it's really scienced out right now. And the ca- guys who are right on the cusp will get the green light more often. I guess the only other thing that changes the, the equation that we haven't talked a ton about is the limited number of disengagements, as they call them, the, the throwovers. Which is, you have to do that if you have a pitch clock. Because if you think, if you don't have a limit on throwovers and you have a pitch clock and somebody's just getting close to their time, they just throw over to first base. Yeah, they just reset it that way. Yeah. So I, I think that that could be the other part of this that does increase attempts overall, knowing that they can't they can't come over potentially without a penalty. There is a weird third, you can have a third throwover as long as you catch him. Right. Um. So I think there'll be more pitch outs, maybe. Maybe. Because if you had your two and you think the guy's going, do a pitch out. Um, so we'll see. Yes, that will have an effect on it. And if I'm wrong, I think that that's the part I'm getting wrong is that that will allow, you know, longer leads. And uh, especially on the third after the two throwovers. But um you know, then we had the shift rules and uh, mea culpa here for um, misunderstanding a rule that was on the books. Uh, the way that the rule is stated, uh, it's I think it is such every team has to designate two infielders on each side of second base. And this is the part I did not get who may not switch sides during the game, except if there's a substitution for one of those infielders. So the only way that Jorge Polanco can go play short is if the shortstop is out. Right, and then they bring and someone else switching to the there game. for the yep. rest of the game. So there might be still some substitutions where, at the high impact point of the game, a high leverage point of the game, they're just like, "We just need to do this right now." <laughs> uh, but that means you can only do it once per game or twice per game, depending on how many substitutions you have. It does not mean. And then also, uh, some people pointed out that um, people don't usually get increased position eligibility for switches within games or within like plays um and i was remembering anthony rizzo having second base eligibility remember that yeah so it comes down to whether or not the stats provider or the the league officials commissioner that you're using if it looks at games started by position or games played at position where an appearance within a game might count for the latter but not the former because it's not a start yeah, so uh, uh, so we won't see a radical increase in position eligibilities, probably. Um, I also don't think that we're going to see a lot of uh, outfielders playing behind second base. Um, you, We were just outlining before we started here this situation. Uh, let's say it does make sense to play your outfielder. You're, you're going to say... We just really don't think this guy is going to hit to left field. This this lefty is going to hit to left field. We're, we're going to give up the chance of maybe anything that goes to left field is a double. We just don't think he does it at all. So we're going to send that outfielder over to play Rover. Um, 
you know, while that while the Joey Gallo, let's call him Joey Gallo, <laughs> while Joey Gallo is stepping to the plate, you can do that. You can probably jog your guy over. You'll have enough time. It's not just the 15 seconds. You have the walk-up song. You have him coming to the plate. You can walk a guy over. Now, let's say it gets to two strikes and your scouting says, Joey Gallo with two strikes will try to go to the other side. Now, your outfielder has seven seconds <laughs> to sprint across the field and find his spot over and left. And maybe you can do that, but how often do you want your outfielders doing that? So... Maybe in year three, four, or five, we will see outfielders sprinting around the outfield. Um, but I doubt we see it in year one. And some of my evidence for that is there are no teams right now doing anything radical. Like you think like uh, the A's or the Nationals or the Marlins, they could be trying out radical stuff right now in anticipation of these in anticipation of these moves. We don't see that yet. If we don't see anything that radical in spring, I doubt we're going to see it during the season. When you saw four outfielders... You saw it in spring first. Yeah, it'll be a good uh, good test of, of what we might actually get when the games count, what they're willing to show us in, in, in March. When Plus, the, the games teams want to try it and see if the, the commissioner says they're breaking rules, right? <laughs> Are we breaking <laughs> rules? Are we comfortable doing this? Is this exhausting? Yeah. I mean, and you'll see it. You'll see them try it in spring. So, uh, the outfielder thing is something to watch for in spring, I think. Um, and then. I stand by our, our initial analysis that, um, you know, on the individual player level, uh, we were not going to see that many more hits. I think the biggest beneficiaries, and these are very similar to the ones we talked about on the show, uh, when I really drilled down, the biggest beneficiaries are Matt Olson, uh, Rowdy Telez, and Charlie Blackman, all getting about plus 10 hits. Uh, Corey Seager is at about plus 6. Uh, so there are players who are going to get more hits, but I think in one of our examples, we gave someone 14 hits and it, it, it up their average, like 10 points. Um, that would be a really high end. So I know that some people were talking about people upping their average 20 or 30 points. And I don't think I see it. It can happen, but it won't happen solely because of this rule change. It's going to happen alongside of regression and other things right exactly yes uh, uh, yeah don't 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 tell me that someone who's like a 230 babbit this year who has like a 320 babbit this year it's like all because of the shit no it's like oh he also hit the ball harder oh well that, right. that's a new thing that actually matters even more thank you and second order effects where they see they see what's going on and change their batted ball distribution right and i don't know if that'll happen in year one uh because for example, we had a launch angle revolution, right? The ball was flying in 2019 and all through the juice ball era from 2015, everyone's like, oh my God, you got to put the ball in the air, elevate to celebrate, all this stuff. And the average launch angle across the league went up like not even a full degree. <laughs> you know? So it's like, elevate to okay. celebrate. Elevate to celebrate. So, you know, I think second order effects like, you know, they're going to try and hit it over there. Uh, that'll take some time. I, I, I like the piece. I, I think people should check it out. Theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. If you don't have a subscription already, you can see it in greater detail. Some nice charts. Uh, pretty much anytime you cite Cameron Grove in a story or on the podcast, there's something pretty interesting there too. So uh, just a lot to, to unpack uh, as we continue preparing for these new rules here in 2023. Let's get to some late arrivals, some useful endgame players. 
I thought that we were finally done seeing prospects getting opportunities. Turns out I don't really know anything. I'm just guessing all the time and walking through life with a shiny forehead and a blindfold on. So, yeah, it's it's just that's just me. That's just where I tend to be most days. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel Tovar is getting a look from the Rockies. And I think yeah. if you're looking for a tooled up player that has the talent to help you potentially in every category, I mean, it's his first taste of of big league competition so there's plenty of ways it could go wrong as well you might not find a more exciting player debuting this late in the season than Tovar if you've missed out on the other waves of prospects this is pretty exciting news I think one of the few drawbacks is something that came up on the athletic fantasy baseball podcast last week the Rockies end their season I think with a six game series against the Dodgers so a lot of Dodger pitching for them three of those are at home (laughs) Well, I actually, I think it's all in L.A. because it, it's the makeup games from the first week of the schedule getting tacked back onto the back. No. So you don't get the Colorado games. If the, as if the Dodgers needed more help. Are you kidding me? I, I believe that's exactly what it is. <laughs> oh, what a cruel world. <laughs> oh, my God. I am so sorry, Colorado. <laughs> I mean, they'll, they'll be fine. But yeah, yeah, starting Friday the 30th, they have a, a three-game series with the Dodgers that then well, maybe the Dodgers is connected to the three-game series. <laughs> maybe, but, you know, like their 15th best pitcher in their organization it's is still, still pretty good. Okay. <laughs> Michael Grove can still shut him out. Um, yeah, I mean the 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 fun thing with Tovar is it's 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 pretty hard to kind of spot um, a weakness. Uh, there have been times when he didn't walk that much, but there's been other times where he has walked an above average rate. He's always made good contact. Uh, the power has been there ever since A ball, so I believe in that. There is a question if if it's like if it's like you know, average above average power, or if he's going to tap into more than that. Um, so he could be more a, uh, I guess, I don't want to say worst case scenario, worst case scenario that he doesn't work out, but uh, uh, a, a reasonable expectation for him might be 275, uh, 15, 15. Right. Uh, next year. I think he could push Rogers to second. Yeah. I think that's uh, likely. Especially if he's playing now, they believe in him, and as long as he doesn't fall on his face. Um, and then the the hope is uh, you pay for that and you get, I don't know, 290, 25, 15, 25, 10. You know, maybe, I think if he starts hitting for more power, he may not steal as much, but that's just what happens with young players. But, I mean, there's, uh, there's nothing. If you're in one of those leagues where, you know, it's... Uh, you, you, the guy has to be in the major leagues before you can pick him up. This is like a real boon. This is huge in those leagues because Tovar has increased his stock so much this year that he may have been previously unrostered. And I, I think that's what's really, really pretty wild about all this. It's yet another player who is spending very little time at AAA. I mean, there's also the group of players who have spent no time at AAA. Already young for the level. Tovar just turned 21 on August 1st. So the season he had was a big success. Missed some time, I believe, with like a hamstring injury, a pretty minor injury that he had in the middle part of the summer. 
but 13 homers, 17 steals in 20 attempts in 66 games for someone that just turned 21 at the double-A level. That's incredible. And I think they will accommodate him. His his defense will be prioritized. They'll shuffle things around. I, I have a hard time setting fair expectations for guys that get a test like this because I thought Von Grissom and Michael Harris and, and some of the guys we've seen come up this year would be challenged to consistently hit big league pitching and I, I'm I'm wrong about them. Like not, not that I think they'd be good players in the long run. I like but like Harris a lot in the long run. He's proven me wrong again and again and again throughout his rookie season. So it all of this is making me more open-minded about what a player can do upon arrival when an organization trusts them to move this quickly. Yeah, I hope it's not just a let's take a look because Rodgers is hurt and Rodgers is still going to start at short uh, beginning of next season. It's still a possibility. It's possible, but I don't. I don't think that's what's going on here. But it's not just Ezekiel Tovar. I think we had a prospect of the week, Jordan Diaz, a few weeks ago. He's getting a chance with the A's right now, and it makes sense. He's 22 years old, just turned 22 in the middle part of August. Uh, Missed a little time with some injuries. Put up great numbers both at AA and AAA this year. 19 homers combined over 120 games. Good average. OBP, not as high as you'd expect, if only because the walk rate's been living in that 5% range. But he makes a ton of contact. A player that I really like, and I'm I'm glad we're getting a look at him in these final weeks of the season because I think he can actually help in some of our deeper leagues. And I think there's a good chance he sticks and is a part of the opening day lineup for the A's in 2023. I think so, too. Uh, seem comfortable in, in the clubhouse. Um, one place that I don't see... Uh, it didn't seem super super comfortable to me was second base. Uh, I thought he made a few plays. I just was there on Tuesday. He was playing second base. And I just, I thought he looked uncomfortable there. He booted a play, uh, even a play that he made. It was one of those things where uh, it was one of those Adam plays where the runner was slow and it went right to him. And he like still like took a while to get the ball up and throw it to first. Like it was way closer than it should have been. And it took him, it just, he doesn't, didn't seem comfortable out there at second base. So I would say, uh, he's definitely a third baseman for me. Um, for fan graphs, he was a 35 slash 55 fielder. Uh, so I think that sort of agrees with what I'm saying. Um, in the minor leagues this year, he played, uh, 41 games at first, uh, seven games, or I have to add them all up. Ten games at third. So it's strange because he he did not play well defensively last year. Again, young for the level in twenty twenty one. Fifty two games for Diaz at third base. He had an eight seventy five fielding percentage. I don't remember seeing a fielding percentage that low. We don't usually use numbers like that, but you know the reason we don't use fielding percentage usually is because um, a guy with uh, exceptional tools can maybe get to balls that other people can't. That's I. That's not what's happening. Right. Yeah. This isn't freak <laughs> athleticism gets to every ball and then can't make the throw because it's an impossible throw. It's more probably doesn't play on the left side of the infield. 
is he a first baseman? Can we hide him at second base? Or do we have to think about even putting him in left field? And with the shift rules, that's only the, that's what I you know had with Cameron in there was that there's more pressure on second baseman range. And if he's got an eight seven five and looks the way he does to me uh, to the eye in the field, I I they are trying uh, Dermis Garcia there uh, at first, and uh, Garcia is hitting for for power. Uh, but he's also striking out 45% of the time. Uh, so there, it, it may end up just being a little bit of a battle there or some sort of platoon. Um, they're both righties. Maybe, maybe they're the first baseman in the DH for this team next year. Uh, but I don't think either of them has defensive value. And if I had to pick one, I'd pick Diaz. Well, they do meet the uh, requirements for the A's of being league minimum salary players. So <laughs> first base and DH make all the sense in the world. Also, also uh, I've been asking around and I I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty sure about this. And if there's any agents listening or any team of team officials, I know we've got a, a few that listen. Um so Elvis Andrews has an option that vests at 550 plate appearances. <laughs> he was released by the A's this year. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure they thought no chance he makes it to 550. Guess how many plate appearances Elvis Andrews has? Well, I just looked it up as you were talking. 521. It's going to be a photo finish. I think he's going to get there. They have 13 games. 521, he needs 29 in 13 games. He needs 2.2 plate appearances per game by the White Sox. And he's been playing so well for the White Sox that even if Tim Anderson's come back, he might play some second base, dude. Yeah. <laughs> if he gets to 550, this is the part I'm not so sure about, but I'm I'm pretty sure it is. The way it works is he was released, he cleared waivers, the A's are responsible for the rest of his contract, the White Sox are paying the minimum wage for him. <laughs> and if he gets to 550, the option vests and the A's will owe Elvis Andrews $15 million next year. Uh, is it safe to say that Elvis Andrews in that situation that you just outlined would be the highest paid player on the A's payroll in 2023? <laughs> yes. And if it does happen... I think it's even less. I think it's like they won't even. They'll just won't spend money on anybody. They won't even do the like the Jed Lowry thing. They'll just be like, "Oops, there goes all of our free agent money." I mean, this is mind blowing because they had a payroll of eighty three million dollars on opening day of twenty twenty one. Yeah, they had an opening day payroll of forty seven million, according to Cots. Opening day Maybe they wanted this to happen so they could be like, it looks like they're spending more than they are. <laughs> uh, no, they didn't want this to happen. I, I, I don't think so. I think they didn't want I think They just didn't think he'd get to 550. They, they he thought will. he wouldn't sign somewhere else, and if he did, he wouldn't play as much as he's played, but he, he has played really well. He's one home run away from a 15-15 season. This is actually pretty cool that Elvis Andrews that. is being productive again. Yeah, yeah. The defense isn't great, but since he was a good defensive shortstop to begin with, uh, you know, he's been all right. You know, the best WRC plus of his career, thanks to, you know, the rest of the league sort of cratering around him. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, I was texting one agent about it, and uh, he thought it was funny, and uh, and I said something about the A's, and he said, "Well, f him." <laughs> <laughs> of course, the agents don't like the A's. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I'm not even dependent upon commission salary. Yeah, I, got, I agree. I, I I don't like what they're doing right now either. Uh, it's just it's just kind of gross. So I'm. I'm out on that, but uh, some other players that might be helpful. How about this one? Let's see. Let's let's see if I can mess this one up. Yep. Miles. Oh yeah. Mastro Buoni. That's pretty good. <laughs> I'm gonna get eight out of ten at least. I think right. that, was, that was good. <laughs> My wife yells at me in Italian for some reason. Really? Yes. Yes. That is her chosen language of yelling. It is a good rage language. <laughs> yeah. So Master Buoni uh makes a lot of contact uh and I would say probably doesn't have that much power. He's showing a 170 ISO in the minors, but he also has 23 stolen bases and what I've learned is that when you've got a fast player with like a 150 to 170 ISO, a lot of times those are leg doubles. I call this the Esturi Ruiz rule. <laughs> So I think uh, interesting guy to pick up. He wants stolen bases. Um, he can play. Let's see where he's played this. Oh, my gosh. His play where he's played chart is just everywhere so to read yeah. everywhere. He's in 2022. He's played right field, center field, left field, shortstop 13 times. Uh, third base only twice. Uh, second base 57 times. So Lau is out, right? Yeah, he's hurt again. Man, a so, tough loss season for him. And he was Lau, right? Or he was low? Who's which which is Brandon? God, Lau. I don't remember, he's Lau. Okay. We should do flashcards. <laughs> so so Master Buoni could get some starts at second. Uh it's not like Walls has been hitting the cover off the ball. And uh if he does, and center, I mean Siri, I don't know. I don't really get the obsession. I've I've, I've you know, talked with Twitter people about Siri, 80 WRC plus, it's all defense. You could make Siri your Brett Phillips sort of defensive backup, in which case uh, you could start Master Brioni sometimes in center. So I don't know. Uh, I, I don't say, I don't think he's a, a definite pickup, but if, you, if you're desperate for stolen bases in like an AL only, uh, he might be uh, someone to, to look at. Where did this power come from? Where did the efficiency as a base dealer come from? He's 26 at AAA. He's been at the level for parts of three different seasons. We're talking about a cup of coffee in 2019, nothing of, of real significance. But he does, he's a much better player at the same level this year than he was a season ago. But also, to be fair, like most of his uh, full sample seasons have been above average by WRC Plus, too. So it's not, not like a out-of-nowhere guy. But you're right. Uh, in terms of stolen bases, his previous high was 15 or 18. He got caught seven times that year. Then he stole 15 one at one level and got caught 13 times. This year he's stolen 23 and only been caught three times. Yeah. Well, it still bodes well for him to do any. 16 homers, I think, is a bit of an outlier. Looking for some other guys that might fit into this conversation. Five last year. <laughs> Matt Walner. In Minnesota, getting a chance to play, it's all power mostly. I mean, he was in the Futures game back in July. 
They've got Walner and Cave playing there pretty regularly with uh, Kepler and Buxton out, but both those guys really swing and miss. Yes, a lot of swing and miss in the profile. Even 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 as we saw at Double A this year, Walner started the year there, thirty one point three percent K rate, got down to twenty seven point five percent in fifty games at Triple A. I think he's going to hit a ton of barrels. He walks, but he's just that sort of player where it's probably a low batting average despite the ability to do some damage. Yeah, and their swing and miss rates are way higher than somebody like uh, Mark Mathias. Yep. Uh, who right now is sporting a 35% strikeout rate as a uh, second baseman, I guess, in Texas. Uh but he has a much lower swing strike rate. His is like 11.6 to Walner's 19. And Matthias has a, a history of better strikeout rates. I'm, I've am i picked up Matthias in a couple of places. Just in case it's lightning in a bottle. They seem to not be in love with Nick Solak. And uh, they've tried a bunch of people um, <clears throat> in that sort of, I guess it's not second base, uh, outfield, backup infielder. Uh, you know, situation. I think mostly the opportunity lies uh, for the Rangers in the outfield. Should we revisit Bubba Thompson? Uh, we've had some people question if we're right about him or not. Yeah, I know he's uh, he's the ultimate Nando guy. We talked about him a little bit on Under the Radar <laughs> yesterday, and I I kind of chuckled at, at the Bubba Thompson recommendation when Nando made it, and I think if you picked him up for cheap speed, you've been rewarded. He's held his own as a hitter. Stone bases, yeah, he's offering a lot of speed. He he's shown power in the minors. We haven't seen it in the big leagues yet. I, I'm still a little skeptical, but at the same time, there's there's a window for playing time there, and he might have to begin next season on the depth chart as a bench outfielder. You may have to earn a larger share of playing time depending on what they do in free agency, but I'm slowly coming around at least to the point where I see him as a viable deep league source of steals that you could actually trust going into next season. I don't... Mixed leagues right now, he's playing enough you can just use him. I still think there are a lot of long-term questions about the type of player he's going to be. Yeah, I just think it's weird uh, to have this kind of profile be playing left field. You know, he doesn't barrel the ball. He doesn't hit the ball hard. He hits the ball on the ground a lot. Uh, he doesn't make a lot of contact. So uh, there's really a lot of pressure put on his legs. Maybe with the new rules, maybe he's like a 40-steal guy that has like a 310 on base percentage and a 330 slugging next year, and he makes it work. But uh, I don't know. I... This is not the type of profile that I that I go for, but I think it's it's going to come down to things like how valuable is he defensively? If he's a great right, defender that's why he's in the playing corner, left field, he yeah. should be an above average defender in left with speed like that, right? I mean, like that's he, he looks like assume. a defensive backup to me, except he's playing left field. That's what I don't get. Yeah, it's it's a tricky uh, tricky profile to uh, sort out. So I would if if you if you don't believe in him too much. I think that's uh, the biggest sort of center and left are the biggest, uh, you know, because I think Adolis can play center. So there's two spots in the outfield that are up for grabs. And you've got Mark Mathias, uh, Josh Smith, maybe, Bubba Thompson, and then X, Y, or Z. Leody Tavares is still there. Yeah. Um, Close to a league average line right now. 
you know, showing yeah. some speed, a little bit of power. It's kind of what you'd expect. I, that's from what him. I'm just saying. You cannot have an outfield of Garcia, Leotis, Tavera, and Bubba Thompson. I'm sorry, that's not that's not a winning outfield. The Guardians pull that that kind of BS. <laughs> but the Guardians' collective strikeout rate for those three guys would be like 12. percent Yeah, that's that is the the main difference, right? Between the, the collective strikeout rate for these guys would be like 28. percent I was skeptical of the Adelis Garcia call when Nando made that one too. And Garcia, oh, like after a bad second half last year, came back this year and had a monster year. What do you do with really Adelis Garcia next year? year? What, what I, I threw this out there yesterday and, and Nando expects more of the same. He's like, if he was going to collapse, it would have happened this year. And he might be right. Well, I mean, he's 30, so I don't think the collapse will come right away. But I think the collapse will come earlier than people expect. Um, and he does hit the ball really hard and he does have prodigious tools, great arm, you know, fast. He's going to make the most of his balls in play and his opportunities on base. And maybe the stolen base rules will help him there too. I just, uh, I think probably I wouldn't play him in center. So if you want to go Adolis Garcia, Leotis Taveras, you know, then that's fine. But I just don't think you put Bubba Thompson next to those two. You know what I mean? Then Bubba's the fourth outfielder, and you're probably I, I think I still think Michael Conforto in Texas makes a lot of sense. If he's healthy, put him in left field. Bubba Thompson can platoon with him a little bit, play some center if Tavares doesn't work out. And I think you're in a good spot. It depends spot. on kind of what the walking papers for the new regime are a little bit. Is it like build from within? Then Mark Mathias has a shot. You know, I mean, Mark Mathias will be in a group of five that are out there trying to beat Bubba Thompson out of that left field spot. Yeah, the Mathias stuff is pretty strange because he was in the Brewers organization earlier this year. Eight homers, eight steals, 50 games at AAA. He's 27, so he, he should be good. But it was with a high walk rate, with a pretty good K rate. It was actually a valuable overall offensive line. It reminds me a little bit of like Mark Kana coming up through that system. Yeah, and he's he's flashed power and speed around some pretty big injuries too. I think Matthias had a bad injury in 2021, like a shoulder or something that cost him the whole season. So he may have had a shot. He had 16 games uh, between 2019 and 2022. So yeah, you got to look at him and say, well, he's 28, but he also would have probably played a little more in the big leagues if he were healthy the last few seasons. Yeah, so I, I think uh, I think he's interesting. Um, I think he's like a super deep league keeper, like you know, stash dynasty, like you know, see what happens if they don't sign an outfielder. Uh, I think there's a possibility that uh, there's a pop up outfielder in Texas next year. I don't have a lot of faith in Tavares either, so uh, there's an op- there's a chance that you play Garcia in center. Tavares is the backup, and uh, Thompson is up and down again. And you have, you know, a, you have two outfield spots that are available in Texas. Yeah, that's a possibility as well. Edward Olivares playing a lot again for the Royals. Is there, oh, any, he'll be back down again. Yes. Yeah, is there any reason to think <laughs> this is going to last? He's producing this season 40 games, 304, 357, 443. Okay, that's pretty good. 20% K rate. That's fine. Barrel rate's not bad. 5.6%. It's not good, but it's not bad either. All right, like this, yeah, is, he's this is a, a solid he's player. He's kind of a jack of all trades guy. You know what I mean? Like, not he doesn't nothing is elite. I actually, I actually kind of like this kind of profile where it's like, you know, he's not an atrocious uh, chaser. He doesn't he doesn't walk a lot, but he doesn't not walk. Uh, he he's not like a guy who has a ten percent strikeout rate, but a twenty percent strikeout rate in this game is above average, better than average. 
His swing strike rate is better than average. His barrel rate is about average. It's like everything's average, you know? He's out of options, you know? He's got to be. I think this is his last year of options. Right. He'll be out He'll be out next year. Next year is the pooper get off the potty moment. The Royals will know they can't you can't move him up and down. Kyle Isbell, Isbell to me is is more defense forward. So I could see Isbell taking over Taylor in center. Is Taylor a free agent? I feel like they signed Michael Taylor forever, even though they didn't. It was it was the two year deal that somehow has lasted five years. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's got one, but it's a two year nine million dollar deal. So Taylor can be the backup. So I think Isbell Waters Taylor is some sort of solution for center field, right? Um, and then they've been playing Melendez in in the outfield. I, I don't think that's ideal, but you could do Melendez at catcher outfield, I guess. That's a little bit weird. Uh, you got Vinny at DH or first base. Uh, I don't know. They're still feeling some stuff out here, aren't they? They've kind of moved past Lopez. Uh, maybe they give Adalberto Mondesi another chance at third, and they go Adalberto, Bobby Witt, Massey, Pascantino on the infield. Melendez is a DH catcher with Sal, and uh, center field is Taylor Waters, Olivares. That I mean, Taylor Waters, uh, Isbell. That leaves left field for Oliveris. So I think he might be the starter to begin the season. I don't believe much in Nate Eaton, who also should be on our list of young players that are getting a lot of playing time. Uh, what's strange is I know he has a different defensive uh, background, uh, but I get more kind of uh, Nicky Lopez vibes where he's just fast. I think you just named 14 players for nine spots for the Royals. <laughs> they need pitching. No, so. I mean, Witt's, Witt's in. Pascantino's in. Perez and Melendez are probably CDH. Yeah. They're, so those they're are three yep. locked-in positions. Yeah. Uh, Mond- I'm not that interested in any of the other players I mentioned, by the way. In terms of Eaton, I think Dozier even, he had like a nice little bit this year, but I'm not that interested in going forward. I'm not that interested in Michael Massey. So of those players, I'm most interested in Edward Olivares, actually. I wonder if they're going to set a record for most players non-tendered uh, at a deadline. That's interesting. I mean, they there's going to be some house cleaning, for sure, with the new regime. Because they've got a bunch of guys who are ARB 2 and ARB 3. They are a small market team that controls costs. So maybe it's minor trades for some of those guys, too. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's just it's a, uh, I mean Mondesi. What do you do with Mondesi? Really, change in the front office. Dayton Moore's gone. He's no longer the president of baseball operations. JJ Piccolo taking over. Looks like he's going to keep the spots. Not just an interim thing. At least based on what we know right now. I, how much are the Royals really going to change? I, I think it's it's more of an open question. I don't know. I, I don't know if they're going to have as much of a a shift as the the Tiger. We talked about the three O show. On, we talked about the Tiger situation. That feels like a bigger organizational change. Yeah, because they're they're leaving Piccolo in, in power, but but he can still change it, things. He can still yeah. fix the pitching problem or try to in in his way. That's possible. I think in his in his situation, um, he might actually trade some of these. Like I already did one where they did Manuel Rivera for Luke Weaver. I could see them trading uh, some of these. Uh, you know. Uh, who who are we talking about here? We're talking about uh, Nicky Lopez, uh, Ryan O'Hearn, 
Um, Hunter Dozier. Right. Guys like that don't seem like they're going to be around in this organization much longer. Yeah. For for pitching. And I don't actually see them cutting Brad Keller or Amir Garrett or Scott, you know, obviously not Scott Barlow, but like I don't see them cutting any of their arbitration pitchers because I think what they'll think they can do is improve the pitching program and improve the pitchers they already have by improving the coaching. Uh, at least that's what I would do. If I was put in charge of the Royals, I would clean house on the pitching program. Yeah, uh, I think that's the the first place we expect to see the big big changes there. But a handful of players for sure that just look like they, they don't quite fit in the organizational plan. And by some means, they'll probably be playing elsewhere next season. Are you ready to admit defeat on Nick Senzel? Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. Um. Uh, are you ready to anoint his uh, successor as Mike Ciani? Well, I'm less eager to do that, but I mean, <laughs> I'm open to any and all players getting chances in Cincinnati right now because we know it's a great place to hit. It takes average power and makes it above average power, at least in terms of the home run output goes. Uh, the thing about Ciani... 49 for 61 as a base dealer and the kind of guy that doesn't strike out a lot gets on base because he draws his walks. Yeah. Okay. I, I can, I can get on board with this profile as one that is career exciting. high 102 WRC plus in double a pretty young for the level. Most yeah, of his stops left-hander mm. age appropriate. I'd say this guy's like a draft and hold steals bench like eighth outfielder. Yeah, he he looks more like a bench outfielder than the long term solution, but they don't they've got a few long term solutions that are not that far away from the big leagues. So maybe twenty twenty three is an audition year for players like Siani. Maybe he just and lands in the right spot. I think organizationally they have uh, more infielders than outfielders coming up so they may have a round of trying some outfielders and then uh moving infielders to the outfield mm-hmm. so uh, it's an interesting situation there I, I i like steer uh but he's not playing as much as i thought he got a little bit hurt that might just be a 64 play appearance is not bad but no barrels very few barrels so far what about this name, Akil Badu? Remember how people felt about Akil Badu back in draft season? No, I don't know. I, I mean, I was out. You were out, but think about what's happened this year. He got demoted. He's come back. Hasn't produced at quite the same level or anything close to what he did last year as a Rule 5 pick. Had a 300-405-500 slash line in 30 games at Toledo. Playing yeah. a little bit more again for the Tigers down the stretch. Made a lot of contact in Toledo, too. There's power, there's speed, there's a pretty good eye at the plate. Given that he was making the leap last year from high A to the big leagues, some pullback, mm. some growing pains are, are not that surprising. Are you in on Badu as a either a late-season roster filler or even the kind of player that if you pick him up really cheap right now, you might actually, in a very deep league, want to have him on your roster for 2023? I like that uh, since he's come back, the uh, walk rate is up. Uh, I The strikeout rate is also 32% since he's come back up. WRC Plus is 84. 
and he's got how many stolen bases? Four stolen bases and eight tries since he's come back. Two twenty-one average. Mm, I think I would throw him in the Siani bucket. It's fair. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. How about this? How about pitching help? You got anybody, either starters or relievers, that are getting chances late in the year? It's important. I pointed this out on the waiver show last Friday. Bailey Ober is finally back for the Twins. That's been a long time coming. I think he's one of the better the better pitchers by projection, at least, that's come back at the end of the season. Who else are you looking at that might be either overlooked because of injuries or just overlooked because they they weren't necessarily a top prospect coming through a system and now they're getting a chance? Josh Winder's uh, stuff plus is back up again since he's come back back up. He took a two month detour and uh, now that he's back, it's uh, looks pretty impressive again. And that's in uh, sixty seven and eighty two pitch. Uh, uh, stint. So Ober, I think, is probably already gone everywhere you want him. Um, but uh, I think Winder is a decent backup plus. If you want to go even deeper, what was it? Henriquez uh, showed a nice 105 uh, stuff plus in his debut, uh, and he might be the guy replacing Sonny Gray, um, but also showed zero command. So definitely more risk but uh if winder's out there i like him uh for the for the rest of the uh this this season um i'm now checking the schedule what is the what does the twin schedule look like twins have really let me down in recent weeks yeah you might not get a lot of wins (laughs) i mean they've been really hurt i mean you know cave and we just talked about cave and walner but uh, they end up with uh, the White Sox, but at home and not in Chicago. So that's good. They end up in Detroit, and then they end the season in Chicago. So uh, if I could get a winder uh, or overstart at home or in Detroit, I'm into it. Um, and even Henriquez, maybe. But uh, that last series in, I just think in Chicago, it can go either way. You know, that, that park does give up homers. Hayden Wesneski, I think, is still part of this conversation. I think we've talked I mean, about if he's him out there. Yeah, I don't think yeah, he's. I think he's, he's long super, gone. Yeah, he's super exciting. Um, we, you know, I don't. This is a, a forced segue for for to to fit it into this because he fits in this, but also prospect of the week. <laughs> My prospect of the week is in the major leagues, 
Uh, and his name is Luis Ortiz. Ah, Luis uh, Ortiz. And he came up and had a pretty decent start against the Yankees. Uh, five strikeouts, two walks, one earned. Uh, only three hits. Uh, also went into Cincinnati and gave up no runs. Um, you know, has uh, had a decent ground ball rate so far. And uh, Pitching Plus uh, thinks that uh, he is actually ridiculously good, <laughs> is what that Pitching Plus says. Um, I have him right now as the this. I mean, this is crazy. It's it's only 157 pitches. I just want to put that out there, but the number one starting pitcher is by Stuff Plus. That's pretty good. <laughs> number one pitcher by Stuff Plus. Yeah, number one starting pitcher. Yeah, that's pretty good. I think that's worth. I think that's worth throwing out there. Um, I now need to see what his ID is. So he's six eight two four seven because there's another stupid Luis Ortiz. So uh, it says his fastball is a one forty three stuff plus, and uh, you know it's it's characterized as a four seam fastball, but it has a lot of sinker properties to it. Um, it says that his uh, sinker. Uh, I don't think we have a sinker in here for him. It says the slider is great and his changeup is great. So. Um, I guess the one thing that could make you uh, nervous is he's just thrown the four seam, which is actually a two seam, and the slider most of the time. Uh, but if the changeup rates well, and uh, he's struck guys out, and he's kept the ball on the ground, and he had an amazing season, um, you know, what a real breakout season in the minor leagues where uh, just showed great ground ball rates, great strikeout rates. Uh, I know a 464 ERA in double A. Uh, doesn't leap off the page, but uh, it was it was a really good season. Really high swing strike rates, um, and I think this is going to be one of their breakout pitchers. Him and Ronzi Contreras are, and even Mitch Keller are all very interesting uh, late game plays for me next year, and uh, decent spot starts down the st- down the down the stretch here for me. Yeah, with the park and the division, plenty of streaming opportunities there. I think the 117 whip gives you a better clue as to where the ERA is likely to go. Probably more of like a mid to high threes ERA sort of pitcher based on the actual skills that he showed. Didn't have a walks issue. Homers were the problem. They generally have not been a problem for Luis Ortiz with that arsenal. It doesn't seem like that's going to be a major problem for him in the long run. So I think it's a great call just to uh, a guy that didn't pop on organizational prospect lists in terms of where he was ranked, but if you read the scouting reports about him, they actually pointed to a guy that could take a step forward, and it's happened, which is nice to see uh, for the Pirates. I'm going to go with Tyler Gentry in the Royals organization, an outfielder. He's put together a nice season. Uh, started the year returning to high A, a little old for the level to be playing there. He turned 23 back in February. Not surprisingly, handled the level very well. Had a 165 WRC+. plus. Strangely, struck out 25.7% of the time during his time there. Actually cut the KRA in a longer stint at AA this year. Much more age-appropriate, even though he's still a little bit on the old side there. 16 homers, 8 steals at AA, and basically a half season's worth of games. Showed the power and speed, of course, prior to that. Uh, a lot to like here, and I think... Even though you were naming a lot of depth pieces for the Royals, <laughs> and he's a righty, so that could work against them. He's he's very tooled up. Depending on how things clear out, might be a guy that we actually get a pretty good look at, probably in the second half of next season, right? I would imagine 
this is a player you're going to send to AAA to start the year and see how things go, but an injury or two could open up a path for him. Yeah, maybe not even just injury. I think probably what's happening, you know, here is the new, you know, the new regime says, "Hey, we're we're testing everybody out." You give Oliveras a, a chance at everyday play to begin the season. Uh, you probably you know, give Isbell, go Oliveras, Isbell, give all the young guys their chances. And then, you know, a month or two in the season, one of them has pooped and got, you know, or is getting out the potty sort of deal. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like uh, if Oliveras doesn't start out that well, or if Isbell doesn't really show the offense, then you're. And you say, okay, you're more of a organizational depth or a backup piece, and we want to see what this guy Gentry can do. Who knows? Maybe Olivares gets traded to an organization that wants to play him more. The Royals being out of <laughs> options say, oh, yeah, you know what? We don't want to deal with this. We want we a guy that like we can send up and down. Sending you up and down, <laughs> yeah. And Gentry, you know, he was a third-round pick in 2020, so the the age being a little old for the level. He played college ball at Alabama. Like It, it starts to make a little more sense when you think about the context. It's not like he's been stuck in the minors for five years or anything like that. He's still you relatively young for his professional career, at least. If Piccolo had anything to do with that pick or if he, you know, if, there's, if he was a Piccolo guy, could go faster than that. Yeah, so tools are there for Tyler Gentry. It's just a matter of finding an opportunity for him in Kansas City. Uh, one more segment before we go. It's called Weird Seasons, and there's only one player we're talking about today, so it's Weird Season the first time. What the heck is going on with Chris Taylor? We had a question from one of our listeners about Taylor, and uh, I thought it was worth bringing up because, you know, with Taylor, there was some swing and miss in the profile previously, and being on the wrong side of 30, I think it was fair to wonder how that might play out over the life of a, a four-year deal since he, he re-upped with the Dodgers back during the winter. But I didn't think we'd see a jump from a 28.7% K rate last year to a 35.9% strikeout rate. That's a massive leap among the biggest risers in strikeout rate when I looked at that year-to-year leaderboard. Uh, hitting the ball in the air more than really he has at any point in his career. So I wonder if there's a change in approach or, or something else going on with Taylor that's uh, caused this change. Yeah, he's weirdly aggressive uh, given his chase rate. He has a good chase rate, but he's really aggressive in the zone. He's a 50% strike, a 50% swing rate, which is not what you expect for a guy who has like a 25% reach rate so or chase rate. So He's just a guy uh, who I think is being too aggressive in the zone. I have seen some analysis that has said that uh, he makes poor decisions on swings, even though it doesn't look like that. Here's a guy who walks. He doesn't chase. You can still make poor decisions within the zone. And so I wonder if he uh, is trying to defend the zone. You know, basically, he thinks he needs to swing at everything inside the zone, and he could be more picky within the zone even. I think he would benefit from swinging less. This is a very aggressive year for him in terms of that swing rate I mentioned being the most of his career and uh, his zone swing weight being the most of his career. So uh, he still offers a lot of value in his versatility, his defense. Uh, it's getting on base a decent amount, you know, given how bad the batting average is. Uh, but I think to kind of tap into that power and uh, you know return to where he was, he needs to be more disciplined within the zone. If you had to forecast it right now, he's on track to get to about 450 plate appearances this year. Do you think he plays more, less, or the same in 2023 when we get the final tally for next season? 
There's a bit of a question as to what happens to Cody Bellinger, but I think if Cody Bellinger, if you just thought of him as a one-year, $15 million deal, you'll keep him in town. Uh, Joey Gallo is a free agent, um, and I kind of doubt that they sign him. Trace Thompson is a bit of a breakout for them. Um, So I could see them kind of, I know they're both righties, but I could see them kind of penciling in uh, Taylor and uh, Thompson and perhaps Vargas um, as a threesome that will paper over uh, any uh, any missing spot for them. So basically, left field, um, and they go into they go into the next season looking very much the same. The big if they have a big acquisition, if they have a big spend, it's going to be at shortstop. I don't think that they shift Taylor back to shortstop, and if they push Lux over to short then I guess they could go big on Judge. Hmm. Hard hard to imagine at the same time. Uh, not that hard to imagine. Aaron Judge okay, and It Dodgers is actually kind them. of, to me, it's almost hard to imagine the Dodgers without that Turner-level star on them next year. Like if they just let Turner go, yes, they can move Lux to short. They can uh, move Taylor to second to partner with Muncie at second. They can find a left fielder. They'll be fine, but they won't be the Dodgers as they were this year. No, they would theoretically take a decent step back from elite of the elite to like being right with the rest of the pack offensively, which is still amazing, still very good. Uh, but that would be taking kind of the Houston approach. George Springer, you're free Letting agent. some guy go. We got Letting someone else go. here. We got Gavin Lux. Carlos Correa, you're free agent. Yeah, all right. We we'll be all right. We'll we'll figure it out. So they, I mean, they're they're good enough to do it. It doesn't seem like the way that they're they're operating at this uh, particular point in time. But definitely a weird season from Chris Taylor. Nice to see the barrel rate is still intact and probably still a guy I'd be comfortable with for draft and hold purposes for 2023. Even oh, with I didn't that answer your question, did I? I think I think he I think he's another 450 guy. Yeah, I don't think it's going back to, to a max volume. I don't think he's 600. Yeah. So know what you're getting into if you take that chance, but I do think there's there's enough there to roster him and he's, he's not going to disappear in year two of a four year deal. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, they're not but, like releasing him or anything. No, and they'll put him in spots to do as well as he can do, even with any potential limitations. We are going to go on our way out the door. Quick reminder, get a subscription to The Athletic for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Oh, you got uh, you got beer there. Uh, Baltimore. I'm sneaking in an old beer of the week. Stuff plus. Your beer. Check it out. Full tilt. Very nice. Only beer with heat maps on it. <laughs> no, it's another great looking can. They do an awesome job with the art. Yeah, it was fun. Looking forward to trying some of that here uh, over the course of the weekend. On Twitter, Eno's at Enoceris. I am at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.